Hello, welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of Art Lives. My name is Elizabeth Dillamater. On this podcast, I talk with artists one-on-one about their art, their lives, and how they navigate the world. This episode features Malika Green. She is an American jewelry designer and maker who lives in Trinidad and Tobago. In this episode, Malika tells us how her art has been influenced by her move to a new country, how her business has been affected by the pandemic, and how jewelry design contrasts with her previous career in music. Here is Malika Green. I'll flash back all the way to elementary school. Not that I was a jeweler in elementary school, of course not, but <laughs> I was always I was always crafty, like finding things around the house and you know, like making earrings out of keys and um I used to make these I used to make these cardboard boxes. Well not the boxes, like cardboard pouches. Ah. Like something that you'd wear to a party, you know, as a woman or to the beach, you just put your essentials in it. And I'd make them um, with cardboard and I'd paint them with whatever paint I had. It was like um, nail polish or um, just paint around the house. And um, and I'd sew it together with, um, I don't know if you remember GIMP, which is like the plastic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So um, I used to make them and then wear them to school. Like I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and wear them around so I was always into doing stuff like that and I um you know I took art classes outside of school and in high school growing up so I was always into doing things with my hands sure um, which maybe that ties in with with pan and being so tactile and everything but um it wasn't until I was finishing my master's at NIU, actually. I needed a credit. Um, I needed a, a three-credit course that was outside of music. Huh. It had to be an arts credit. Huh. I can't remember if it needed me three credits, but I needed a class outside of music. And um, I was looking at what's available, and I saw jewelry. Actually, it wasn't jewelry. It was silversmithing. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. I get to learn how to make jewelry and make, um, well, forge metal. So we made, you know, like bowls and different kinds of things. And um, and the class was great. I just did a one semester thing, but um, I loved it. And <laughs> the teacher was like, have you considered maybe changing your major? And I was like, <laughs> I don't think my parents would be really supportive of me saying, I'm going to go from music to, you know, silversmithing. <laughs> In the last year of my master's, <laughs> that one go over so well. So, um, yeah, I just kind of kept it in the back of my mind as something that I really enjoyed, but I didn't get back into it until about three or four years later when I got really sick. I was having some heart issues, and my doctor told me to just find a sedentary, a sedentary activity. So I was like, well, I guess I'll make some jewelry. <laughs> that would be nice. So I went to Michael's and just like bought a bunch of stuff and started making 
steel pan inspired earrings out of aluminum and brass. And I started selling that online and Etsy and stuff. And I did that for a couple of years. Um, but then, um, you know, I was still fully engaged in music um, and working, you know, I don't, when I was at cafe, I was working so many hours a week because that, that program was so, so busy. The kids performed so much. I was like, I don't know if I can do both. So I ended up letting it fall to the wayside. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't get in back, back into it again until many years later again when I moved to Chicago and found some um, classes that I could take. And then I started working my way back into it. And then many years later again, in 2019, when I moved to Trinidad um, and trying to figure out what to do I met a jeweler who was looking for an additional apprentice to bring into his workshop. And he ended up being um, one of the best jewelers in Trinidad for sure. Um, I mean, some really well-known people come to his shop and he is, um, he's just been amazing. I mean, he's been basically um, teaching me everything he knows, anything I ask him, you know, uh, You know, I'll tell him about something I want to make. And I think, I think I need to do wax carving. I don't know if I, do I need to cast it. And he'll he'll sit down and figure things out with me. And, you know, so it's been amazing. But I, I feel like it's just jewelry has been there or crafts maybe. I don't know. But it's been there in my life just, like, waiting for me to grab hold of it. Like, hey, I'm still here, you know, <laughs> when you're ready. <laughs> so here we are so it's yeah I mean I remembered you selling some things um when I knew you when you were in Chicago your second time Mm -hmm. okay but I didn't realize it went so far back it really has been there all along and I didn't know you trained so much for it um (laughs) so uh how do you introduce yourself now if somebody asks you what kind of jewel jeweler you are? Ooh, I have not figured that out yet. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I, I, maybe that's a question. Maybe I, I don't know what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> I, I, mean, I probably don't know what you should be asking, so I don't know. Oh. <laughs> I don't know either. <laughs> But um, I well, I would definitely say I'm I'm more of a silversmith because it's because jewelry making could be anything. I mean that could be using recycled materials, you know, or organic materials to make jewelry. Yeah. So I mean I do work with metals specifically. I work majority with silver and and do a lot of forging and planishing and so on so hammering and actually shaping the metal and using a lot of heat um some jewelers would call themselves goldsmiths as well because they work with all metals including gold so i guess i should start introducing myself as one of those things i'm a you know silversmith or a goldsmith or something um yeah do you feel like you are um uh, are definitely still an apprentice or do you feel like you are um, now producing what you want to be making? Do you feel like you're um, being able to carry out the visions that you have? 
I think for the most part, but jewelry, just like music, is something that you'll be learning new things for the rest of your life. Um, there's this great podcast that I listen to. This will tell you how much I nerd out on um, silversmithing and jewelry stuff. Wait a second. Yes, I'm I'm on the podcast. What's up? <laughs> I don't have any cash. No cash? No, I have like fifteen dollars. Hundred dollars been gone through. Yeah. Oh, right. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. What was, I can remember a podcast about uh, silversmithing. Oh yes, yes, yes. It's it's by um, Rio Grande, which is a huge jewelry supply company based in the state. And um, they have this really great podcast where they just interview different jewelers and they talk about their life, you know, how they got into silversmithing or goldsmithing and, you know, making jewelry, creating their business and so on. There are some people who are just designers or some people who do both designing and fabrication. And, um, it's really inspiring because there's just some jewelers on there who have been doing it for like 30 years and yeah. they're like, yeah, I just found out about a new metal and you know, <laughs> I'm going to start using that. There was one woman in particular, I found her story so interesting, her trajectory because she started back in the 60s and 70s when it was still majority male dominated industry, right? Mm -hmm. um because you think about it silversmithing or this type of jewelry making came from blacksmiths right tradition of blacksmiths which is mostly men <laughs> so um so with the the growth of um craft fairs in the 60s and 70s like women started to get into making things and selling things and then started working their way into into silversmithing and goldsmithing so she came up learning from a lot of men and had to like prove herself and she had her own business for a long time, just making contemporary items. And now she makes glasses. And she's like, you know, like 10 years ago, she's like, yeah, I just got into this. And, and now I love it. And she just makes like two pairs of glasses a month. And <laughs> really high-end glasses. And I was like, I wow. never even thought of that. Um, wow. So it's really fascinating because there's, there's so many different um, specialties that you can go into, you know, whether it's wax carving or 3D design, which is becoming big now, or enameling, or um, doing large pieces, small pieces, stone setting. So, um, yeah, I'll be learning for the rest of my life. I'll probably always feel like an apprentice, <laughs> but, but I do feel like at this point, um, I am able to come up with my ideas, create them, and then develop them. You know, I can look at something and say, man, I, um, this design in general is great, but the function of, like, the hook is not good, or I need to change the size of jump ring. Um, okay. I can change the size of sheet metal, you know, things like that. I can figure it out on my own. That, so, yeah. <laughs> I would say that's important if you can troubleshoot and also – see things that you can improve and figure that out on your own. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's got to be like a, at least a step into professional level, if not professional level. <laughs> well, I mean, like with music, we say, if you can teach yourself, then you're, mm. 
I mean, I, I see your jewelry and I think it's absolutely beautiful, absolutely spectacular, but I, I never, of course, what other, uh, what the makers think themselves. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still feel like I'm, I'm always learning. Um, I'll be learning forever with this stuff, but <laughs> lately you are uh, making jewelry inspired by flowers, um, mm-hmm. plants, mm-hmm. Turning mm-hmm. and I saw that you were making some, uh, or going back to some by uh, inspired by pans again. That seemed yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. Um, well, there's not a lot of pan jewelry out there, but also I wanted to specifically do something to help out um, pan community and to do some, well, give back, basically. Um, and when I first started going down this jewelry path, this time more seriously, I was like, I'm going to start this business and I want to have a philanthropic side and I don't want to wait to do it. I'm going to start it from the very beginning <laughs> because why not? And um, so the proceeds from my pan jewelry will go towards um, nonprofits that work with kids in music education. So it hasn't really taken off yet. (laughs) Um, I don't feel like I have enough pan jewelry out there yet to like really get people buying, but um, but that is the goal with it yeah. for sure. And eventually I want to actually donate a portion of all of the proceeds. So if it's just 5% of all of the proceeds from all of my sales to um, music education and maybe just arts education in general. Um, so that's the goal there. And I'm saying it out loud in public, so it's true. <laughs> Wonderful. How do you figure out these business models? You're you're working. You have your own personal business. You, mm-hmm. you how did you figure this out? Um, how did you decide this? I it's just what I've I've I guess dreamed of. You know, like <laughs> I want to be able to make enough money to give back, <laughs> and and then you really think about like what's a, enough. Okay, so if I'm if I'm doing comfortably and I'm making enough to pay for my materials and build my business, mm-hmm. um, is you know is there a bit left that I can give to an organization or um, you know a group of people that are trying to get kids exposed to the arts and you know getting them to to see their value through that through an artistic medium. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and I also know how much the arts did for me. So I think it's just, it's just something I've, I've always wanted to do. And I think um, maybe just growing up in a family too, where we had a, a nonprofit arts organization. And I think if, if my mother could have, she would have, you know, had a for-profit arm <laughs> that could, support the nonprofit part so um, yeah do you mind um talking about seeing your mother start that program cafe oh goodness wow. I wonder what it would, would have been like to watch that happen 
Do you remember her talking? Yeah, yeah, no, I do remember it <laughs> very vividly, actually, because there was years, it was years leading up to that. You know, she yeah. had first started the, um, oh God, it was the Caribbean Infusion Cultural Committee, which was basically just um, an avenue to have some events to fundraise for this program. Okay. Um, the, and so that took about two years. And I just remember like a month before the program was supposed to start, before we were supposed to get the pans, um, like we hadn't gotten the pans yet. <laughs> the program was supposed to start. And she's like, they'll come, you know, we're going to do the program in the basement and we're going to go to this person's house and have art and we're going to go here and have dance. Blah, blah. And, you know, my brother and I are in high school. I think my sister had moved out already. My sister might have gone to California already. And all of us are just like, okay, mom, <laughs> we'll see how this goes. You know, like, <laughs> I don't know if this is the best idea or how this is going to work out or whatever. And then it was like the Friday before the program was supposed to start, we got these pans. The program was supposed wow. to start on Monday or something. And we had to set them up. And Leon Edwards, Smooth Edwards, everyone knows him as <laughs> the arranger for All Stars. Um, steel orchestra in Trinidad so he was the um, director in the beginning amazing yeah that was amazing <laughs> so it was it was it was kind of crazy in the beginning because it just seemed so like unbelievable that we were going to start a program like a summer camp in our house you know <laughs> and all these kids that none of us knew were going to be in and out and, um, you know, so we weren't at the house for very long. It, I think just like six months, really, before the end of the year, we had moved. Okay. So things happened really quickly. Um, and I think it was once we, once we moved, we as a family, um, like, really saw the potential of it. Like, okay, this is, this is not just one of mom's brain schemes, you know. <laughs> this is this is happening, yeah. <laughs> and I think just um, not her enthusiasm, but her passion about it. Um, this was something that she was always talking about, no matter who she was with. You know, it could have been family, it could have been a neighbor, it could have been someone she just met. You know. <laughs> You know, she was talking about this program um, that that she was going to make happen. So, yeah. A couple years before she came up with yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, years, years before. Years before when she knew that she wanted to do it. And, I mean, I guess it, it was advice from someone. Else. I can't remember who the person was, but they said, yeah, you need to, you need to fundraise for this and raise money, raise awareness for it. Okay. Um. And so that's how uh, she was able to get so many kids the first year. We had 14 students the first year, which is quite a bit, you know, yes. to do a thing in someone's house, you know. <laughs> right. Um, you know, I think two of the kids might have been people in the neighborhood, but most of them were people we didn't know. So, Wow. Yeah, so it took 
And now CAFE is how big? Well, I mean, easily the program has reached over 500 students. And the program now is at two sites. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a full after-school program. You know, so it went from just a Saturday academy mm-hmm. with a few weeknight rehearsals to now a full-fledged, like, 3 to 7 p.m. after-school program. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is incredible. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it, uh, you saw that from the very beginning, and it, it makes sense that you want to um, have a philanthropic arm. I, I think that you are, you would anyway, because you're an educator, but then <laughs> saw that uh, that makes a lot of sense. So, you have this jewelry business and you're working alone instead of. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the job, what job did you have right before you moved to Trinidad? I was working at Chicago Youth Symphony Orchestra as the education coordinator and the director of steel orchestras. And yeah, <laughs> we have a small staff, but it's it a really tight, staff that worked really well together like eight or nine people okay and uh how many steel bands there we uh there were four we have four on site and two off site yeah wow so um have you has there been anything unexpected um uh from going from doing such a big change i mean i ma- i imagine that uh i i almost don't know what to ask because it to, it's <laughs> change from organizing and being part of a big organization i mean this Chicago youth symphony orchestra is is very old right that or- oh yeah yeah mm-hmm it's like 70 years old or 70 eight? years old, at least. Yeah. Maybe 73. It's up there. Right. <laughs> okay, so you went from this, working as part of this huge organization and now you have your business is you. Yeah. <laughs> um, so for you, is there, is there, is it kind of uh, things I might expect or what, what's the most surprising thing about it? Ooh, the most surprising thing about it. Um, I think, geez, that's a good question. I've never, I haven't thought about that. Um, I will say that there, there's often times when I'm like, man, I wish I had four other people <laughs> with me. <laughs> um, you know, one person to do marketing and one person to do prep work or something, or one person to run errands, you know. Um, I don't know. I feel kind of bad. I don't know how to answer that question. <laughs> Maybe it's too big. Okay, let's go. To, uh, yeah, doing the jobs. I mean, it, in some ways, uh, you have to do all the jobs. Is that kind of nice to have that control? Are you somebody who... It it is and it's nice in the beginning because I feel like you can kind of set the tone. Sure. Um, 
without someone coming in and, and imposing their vision on you. Mm-hmm. Um, not that a good partner would do that, you know, but, um, you know, they might not. <laughs> But I think it'd be, it's nice to start out and say, okay, this is what I want. It's, you know, like the philanthropic idea. If I had a partner, they might say, ah, why don't we wait, you know, three years or something. Good point. Um, yeah. But now if I bring someone in now, I can say, look, I have this already. What I need is someone to help develop, you know, <laughs> or to structure things better. Sure. So, um, I'm not someone who necessarily necessarily likes to be in control. Like one of the things I liked about CYSO is that we did have an exceptional team of people um, who, I mean, we had different departments, <laughs> but every department was like one person, right? Because it's a small, <laughs> it's a small, medium sized nonprofit. So um, if someone drops the ball on something, someone else would just pick it up, you know, and it wasn't a big deal. It's like, we just got to keep moving forward. We have like, you know, 600 kids in this whole organization. We have to make things happen for them. Right. So, um, if, if eventually I could have a team like that, that would be amazing. <laughs> but I don't know how long that's going to take. And, um, so I do, I do miss that. And I, I would be really happy to have other people on my team that who are experts at what they do, like someone who is the bomb at Instagram. You know, like I so struggle. I had to have two tutorials on Instagram and it was just, you know, and that's where um, a lot of businesses are going now and it does work for me, but I do feel like I dropped the ball. I am so inconsistent. I just feel bad. I'm like, Oh, I wish I had someone to do this. And, um, and I know other people who do have someone who does those things for them or someone who, um, you know, there, I have a friend who is, uh, she does clothing. So she's a designer and she has someone who does the styling for like her photo shoots and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, even the shop where I work, you know, they have, um, a retail store and they have someone who does photo shoots for them with their jewelry and so on. So it's just me kind of learning about all these things and there's a lot of information on YouTube, but, um, you know, it all, it takes time, you know, making jewelry, doing silversmithing really is just so time consuming. I'm just looking back at my desk because it's right there, (laughs) but, um, you know, it's like you, you make a thing and then you have to clean it and you have to polish it. And then here in Trinidad, it's, it's pretty much a practice like you work with scrap silver. So you have to start with the raw material and melt it down. It's not like in the States where you could go, I'll just go online and I'll buy some sheet, you know, <laughs> I'll buy some wire, you know, because if you order it from abroad here, it's going to be so expensive. It doesn't make sense. Sure. So that just adds all this extra time. So, um, yeah, so it's, the control is good, I think, just for learning enough to be able to have good teammates in the future. Um, that makes yeah. a lot of sense. Yeah. <laughs> Are, do you um, miss literally working with people? Do you get, uh, I would imagine it'd be, it could be very 
strange to be around people a lot and then now you work alone or is it <laughs> marvelous <laughs> yeah <laughs> well there's okay so there's two things that i'm involved with with jewelry right i do my own stuff at home but then i also work part-time at um where i'm still apprenticing <laughs> basically and um so I'm there, but there's four other jewelers who work there, wow. and that's fun because um, there's so many crazy things that happen in a in a jewelry shop where people bring things in that get you know fixed or whatever or get custom work. So you know we show each other things and say, oh man, I, I cracked this stone or like what do I do now? Or, um, so that that's really cool, and then plus. If we do stuff at home, we bring it in and show each other, you know. Like, uh, so that's really cool. But then I do enjoy the the solitude, partly because I am a fierce introvert. Like I'm very comfortable in my introversion, <laughs> and um, I like to have that that alone time just to be with my thoughts and think and look at things and turn it around and, and not have anyone, you know, looking over my shoulder, seeing what I'm doing or anything. Yes. Harder. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so if I, I could have a combination of both at some point, that would be nice. Yeah. Um, and now you are in Trinidad, which you, I mean, you've been to Trinidad a lot at, over the years. Were you born in Trinidad? No, I wasn't born in Trinidad. I was born in D.C. You were born in, where are your parents? Or where are my you? My mother's, yeah, my mother's Trinidadian. My dad is from New York. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, sorry, all of a sudden I couldn't remember about your father or not. No, it's Okay. But so because of that, you've been to Trinidad many times in your life, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The first time I came, I was seven. And, and my mother, in very Trinidadian form, she put me in like my Sunday best. You know, I had like a dress, flying on this plane, a little seven-year-old black girl with curls in her hair. It was like, it looks so ridiculous. But um. <laughs> And I went down with, I think it was a cousin of hers, and I um, stayed with my grandmother. Nice. Um, and I had several cousins. I still have several cousins who were in New York. And so we would spend some summers in Trinidad. Um, I think the next time I went, I went at seven, and I went again at 12, and that's when I learned to play tan. Mm. And then I... I went, I don't know, I've, I've gone several times in this, at least 10 times, um, sure. maybe since the age of 12. So does Trinidad feel, um, and because your mother is a Trini, does, now that you live in Trinidad, does, do you, does it feel like um, another, as much of another country, do you feel like you've moved to another country or just to another part of your home perhaps no i i absolutely feel i've, I've moved to another country ah. um 
I mean, especially thinking about all the things that are happening right now with um, Black Lives Matters in the state and yeah. and politics and everything. Um, there's been a lot of conversations right now in the Black community about Blacksit and Black people wanting to leave the states and be somewhere else. But yeah, it's been fascinating because I, when I was in the states, I always felt like I could be somewhere else. And then being in Trinidad, I feel more American than I've ever felt <laughs> in my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> um, the way I might think about things or question things um, is definitely from an American point of view. But, um, but also being black in a place that is majority, what we would call in the States minority, majority black or brown, Mm-hmm. has been really um, empowering. Yeah. And um, I was I, I was telling Kim, I was telling my boyfriend the other day, I was at a print store a couple weeks ago, and there was a an older Black woman who came in to get some work done, and she had a suit on. Like, she looked like she might have been a lawyer. It was very conservative. And... Um, she had her hair in this beautiful hairstyle. It's like cornrows in the front and then was out in the back. Um, well, it was braids, but they were like loose braids in the back. And then she had these beads on the end. Oh. Um, kind of like the Bo Derek, um, famous, right? <laughs> now, Black women today in the States, you wouldn't see Black women wearing their hair like that right in a professional saying like with a suit on <laughs> like I just stared at her I stared at her long enough to where I realized I was staring at her and then I had to wonder why am I staring at this woman and it was like right. oh my god like in my adult life I've never seen a woman just that way with this African hairstyle you know <laughs> for that type of hairstyle in the States. And I was like, wow, this is, you know, there's a way that women carry themselves and express themselves in Trinidad that um, I, I don't feel you see a lot of Black women in the States or in any other place that I've been. You know, I was in London. There's a Black community there, too. And I don't feel that the way that they present themselves is with the same amount of confidence or power that women in Trinidad do and and maybe it's the same for black women in and you know in some African countries or in countries where um black is a majority so yeah so that's yeah I feel like I've moved to a completely different <laughs> place and and I love it it's, it's interesting because it made me contemplate a lot and there's a lot of things I haven't figured out yet but I definitely journaling and thinking and talking to people and trying to figure out things yeah is it it's going to or it probably already has affected your art Mm -hmm. yeah yeah (laughs) yeah um yeah color I would say (laughs) not something that I, but, you know, the way that people here just wear color, I think there's, yes. 
they're unapologetic about it. <laughs> right. Um, and for some reason, that was like a big hurdle for me. I'm only just now introducing color into my artwork via stones and so on. Like people would ask, okay, so you have this Bougainvillea earring, but you don't have any like bright colored beads or anything. I'm like, no, it's <laughs> black bead. Like you don't like the black bead stuff. <laughs> Um, uh, interesting. Well, I can't wait to see, I, I can't wait to see the color that you might be introducing into your jewelry. <laughs> and, um, I don't know what that is. I think that's also a Midwest thing. You lived, mm-hmm. most, is Maryland different than the Midwest? In the Midwest? Oh, for sure. Um, moving to mid to the Midwest was a big culture shock. Yeah. That might've been a, a bigger culture shock than moving to Trinidad. I think just because I've been to Trinidad so many times. Sure. Um, but yeah. <laughs> Imagine. Yeah. So um, the uh, transition from uh, making music in audible art and performing art to um, you're still enabling that by um, working on the foundation, the internship, the fellowship it's called, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but are you performing anymore on PAN? Have you performed lately? No, not late. I haven't performed since Panorama 2019. <laughs> so you played last year. Where did you play? Um, in, in 2019? Yeah. I played with Renegades last in 2019 yeah which was amazing uh, so I will definitely keep playing in panorama there's nothing like that experience I think so, so you um, for you it's not do you think that you you don't have the need or the urge to perform anymore no I don't but I haven't had the urge in a long time. Ah. Um, as I became really um, engrossed in educating, huh. um, you know, I was like really into that. Like I wanted to see my kids perform and sometimes I would perform with them, but really only if a person was missing sure. or a section needed help or something like that. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah um, yeah by watching by having them go out mm-hmm. a pretty amazing feeling yeah so um for you was that was the actual performing of the music uh important part of the creation for you uh, i know you composed mm-hmm. 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 so um I'm wondering if that is now fulfilled by the jewelry or does it feel like you've, I'm just wondering if, if everything, all of your creative juices are still <laughs> the same or does it feel like it's, it's different um, or, or you, some of it is waiting. Um, are all of the, are all of the, the boxes ticked? <laughs> No, I feel that 
my creative juices have definitely shifted. But you also have to realize I haven't written music in quite a long time. Like I wrote a lot when I was at NIU and I wrote a little bit after I left NIU and then I was just writing less and less and less. <laughs> and then I was, I was doing a lot of arranging. Yeah. Um, because I was teaching. Um, but I, I actually developed an injury that at the end of my master's um, at NIU, and so I had I had an issue with my right, and I still have an issue with my right hand to the point where I mean I eat with my left hand. So I, I mean, ever since that injury, and I had a, a master's recital that a lot of people don't know this, but like I practically cried at the end of my master's recital because it was so disappointing as far as my level of performance because I had this injury that I just pushed myself through instead of really doing what I needed to do and then years later I was like diagnosed with focal dystonia in my right hand right yeah so thank goodness it's not as bad as like um the pianist Fleischer I can't remember his first name but it's and I know there's several musicians who have that and it's crippling but Mine never got that bad. So anyway, I, I've just been dealing with that insecurity for a long time. <laughs> Injuries really, I've been injured. It really messes with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, not being able to play at the level that I did before, um, that took something away from me, I think, with music. Yeah. So, what was the most creative? What for you um, now, as an artist of any kind, what is what is important to you to be a part of creating art? Is it is it the sitting there and um, filing away, or is it uh, thinking of an idea and seeing it at the end? Is it um, is it doing all of it? Do you have a do you have a part of uh, a specific? Um, is it tiny or is it large part of the vision? Have you come up? <laughs> You know, some of us are are really specific and are. I love this this moment in the journey other people are, mm. the journey has to be complete other people say as long as hands <laughs> are on sticks i don't care what happens all right <laughs> no i think i love all of it um i love coming up with the idea um you know i I'll, i might work on a sketch and uh, I'm not the greatest sketcher, but, you know, I'll, I'll draw something and I'll think about it, do it this way. And I'll work on that for like a month and I'll I'll finally sit down and say, OK, here we go. We're going to actually make it. <laughs> and then uh, and then I love that phase of like going through and say, oh, man, I drew it to look like this. But I realized that when I'm cutting it here or filing it there, it looks better like this. And so. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I love that whole process of going from 
like the the seed basically to the to the final you know the fruit um or the flower at the end yeah and saying hey, yes i did it i i think it's the the accomplishing <laughs> the thing at the end mm-hmm. even if i don't like it even you know I, i'll say man i'm gonna have to melt this and start over again i, I still say yeah i did it cool so, would you say you're easier on yourself or are you you have a um positive in general positive dialogue with yourself or with this um jewelry i think it's been a process but also what's different is being around people like being in the you know in the jewelry shop and working with people as we're all making things yeah whether it's like a new custom thing or whether you're repairing things you know and the amount of swear words and the amount of <laughs> you know anger and um people losing things on the floor and you know the amount of disappointments you have in the process but then in the end it's there like it it still comes together so i think that has helped me to be to to have a positive conversation with myself because everyone who works there has years of experience ahead of me you know there's one woman who's been there for 20 23 or 24 years and she's brilliant you know like she can look at a piece of wire and just tell you what size it is or something um anytime there's a problem with something she'll say oh well yes it looks this color because of copper and sometimes with the copper and zinc and blah blah it's <laughs> like okay so um but you know even she will you know have her little curse words under her breath when you know <laughs> she accidentally melts some oh the fire was too hot i didn't realize and i melted the thing you know so i think if it was just me by myself like trying to learn things off of youtube which is a lot of people do because there's a lot of things you can learn offline it, i would probably be having a lot of conversation with myself that are negative speak cuz i do still struggle and i i might say man i can't believe i melted this thing or i can't believe this is taking me so long to to solder or um you know i thought i was going to make five pairs of earrings but i've only made two why is this taking me so long you know yeah. things like that but um i think with music so much of it is you do so much of it in isolation right you practice hours and hours and hours in isolation and then every once in a while you get to perform for someone else <laughs> um so that that is tough i think when i was um studying music i did you know i did have a lot of negative speak and and i think one of the reasons i got an injury was because i stressed myself out so much and over overpracticed if that is a thing but um yeah yeah overworking the same muscles over and over again because you want it to be a certain way <laughs> instead of accepting what it is at the moment you know yeah um well i think i i find your um journey so fascinating because it uh just the big facts um are so impressive and uh seem so different and i think that when you first 
the first time I talked to you after you moved to um, Trinidad um, was pretty soon after that. And you said something like, I don't really know. Uh, <laughs> you you kind of did know. And I think that everything has a following exactly the correct path for you. Um, hmm. And I think that uh, it's been really a, another fantastic example of an artist's journey. What's fascinating is that I, um, with what you said, is that I actually decided to start selling my jewelry um, during the pandemic. Ha. Huh. Right? It was when things kind of shut down. <laughs> for some reason, I said, this is a good idea for me to see if this actually will work. <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> we weren't going to sell it until until then. You hadn't... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, up to that point, it was like I was just learning. I was just soaking up so much from this jeweler that I was learning from. And and I was working on my own designs at night at home. Okay. And was thinking, okay, yeah, I'm just I'm going to work on this design. And once they get to this place where I can just look at it and it looks beautiful, then I'm going to sell it, you know. <laughs> and then everything closed up. And... Yeah, I just decided, well, I have all this time and I might as well just try, you know. <laughs> I was like, there's, there's got to be some people out there who are interested um, looking at my stuff at least, even if they're not going to buy it, you know. If people say, man, after the pandemic, I'll buy your stuff. That's at least encouraging. <laughs> so I just went for it. I just went for it. and. <laughs> things really brave did it feel like it was you were taking a risk it didn't because I didn't have anything else at that point I wasn't working on the UTT project at that time because um, uh, there was some legal issues <laughs> so I couldn't <laughs> right so I what I would wonder is what would you tell somebody who is conflicted about about their artistic path or feeling stymied. Mm. Wow. Um, I think that you have to take some time to yourself. First of all, I didn't talk about that, but you do need to sit down and, and think about what you want for your life and what you want out of this art and, um, and talk to people. You know, it really helped to have Kim talk about what I was going through. Um, but I think when, when you saw me, I was telling you, I was thinking about applying for a PhD. And, and he was the one who said, you don't have to do a PhD. <laughs> and it was like, it was so weird because when he said that, it was like, that, those were the words I needed to hear for some reason. And they were just so simple. And it wasn't as if at that moment I decided right away to be a jeweler, but it, it was at that moment I said, I don't have to do this thing that I've been forcing myself to do. And, and if there is something else that I'm interested in, there is no, there's nothing wrong with being curious about that. Right. Right. 
So, um, so I think, yeah, definitely start off by talking to people, um, writing things down, I think has become more important now than it ever was before. Yeah. Um, and, and be curious, you know, if, if there is something that's really interesting to you and you're not sure about it, just dive into it little by little and kind of see where it goes. And I think that's the thing that has gotten me so much into jewelry is that um, I am really curious about it. And I ask one question and then I realize that opens up like more things that I'm interested in about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, and you may realize that there's, um, you know, there was an intuition that you had about this thing and maybe you just needed to ask a question or ask the right, or talk to the right person. And then that opened up something for you that you didn't realize was, was there. Um, and then at the end of it, you may decide to continue on the path that you were originally on, which is fine too. But um, I think through it all, you do have to be kind to yourself and that's probably the hardest thing for us to do as human beings (laughs) thank you for talking to me i'm gonna think of a gazillion things more that i want to ask you um for the (laughs) but i don't want to take any more of your time But thank you. Thank you for talking. Thank you so much for talking. Oh, thank you for asking me. I really appreciate it. Anytime I get to talk to people about these things that go on in my life, it helps me kind of contemplate my life. (laughs) um, Yeah. You have been listening to the Art Lives podcast. I am so thankful to Malika for talking with me. I have posted information about Malika Green and links to her work on the Art Lives page of my website, elizabethdelamater.com. Please take a minute to rate Art Lives on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher.com. More ratings help more listeners find the podcast. Special thanks to Bill Salick, art artist Eduardo Moreno, and composer Nicholas Myers. And as always, thank you very much for listening to Art Lives.